Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. For this edition of Tartan Talks, we visited the Hills and Forest headquarters in Toledo, Ohio, to meet with Steve Forrest and Sean Smith, and we discussed the three R's of golf course architecture. But before we get you to the podcast, we'd like to thank Better Billy Bunker supporting the Tartan Talks series. Better Billy Bunker is not only a great supporter of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, Better Billy Bunker supports all industry efforts, including the work of golf course superintendents. So we're excited to have Better Billy Bunker on board and we were also excited to visit Toledo and meet with Steve and Sean, and then we saw some of their work at Highland Meadows Golf Club, which hosts the LPGA's Marathon Classic in July. Steve and Sean, thanks for having us. This is awesome being here in Toledo, seeing the offices and some of the golf history in here. And the first thing I wanted to ask you about, Steve, is what it's like working for a firm of this size and kind of the evolutions of the firm you've seen over the last 35 plus years? Well, it's been a fantastic ride since I uh, first drove up the driveway in the summer of 1978. Came back full time right after the U.S. Open ended in 1979 that Hale Irwin won at Inverness. So at that time, Arthur had just one landscape architect working for him and he had some work locally and a couple of courses down in Florida that he was working on. I think one of the first projects I worked on was Pelican Bay down in Naples, Florida. Over the years, I think in 85, we added our second architect here in addition to me. And then we added an architect a year between 85 and 90. And then there's a little bit of a leveling off. And then we added more in the 1998, 99, 2000 range. That's when Sean was able to join us. Yeah. And Sean, you kind of entered the business at a fascinating time and things things were booming you were you were a young guy you're out of washington state and then it kind of changed a little bit in the mid to late 2000s what has it been like for you now being here for 15 plus years it's it's been on a really fun ride you know i remember when i first started with art i was kind of in awe of working with with art and all the guys that were in the office at the time uh, i remember one of my first couple projects with art he would drag me to various renovation projects we were working at the time. One of the very first ones that we went to was Oakmont. And I remember hopping on the phone and calling my parents this when cell phones were just starting up. And I called my parents and said, Mom, Dad, you're not going to believe where I'm at. Be able to see and be at clubs of the stature of Oakland Hills and Oakmont and Inverness. And, and to be able to work with the guys here has been tremendous. I've learned so much from them. And it's been it's been a really fun ride. And, uh, you know, certainly the last few years have been a little bit uh, tough, but you know we're we're continuing to to move on and do what we can to to stay busy, and we're, we're we seem to be doing pretty good in that respect. So we're continuing to do what we love, and that's that's a big part of it. So I'm guessing when you are all here at the same time, which is very rare in your line of work, you have some interesting conversations and bounce some ideas off each other. And today we're going to be talking about the three R's: golf course architecture, restoration, remodeling, and renovation. Steve. I think we'll talk about restorations first, and how would you define a restoration when you're having these conversations with colleagues or other people in the business? What would you tell them a restoration is? Well, a restoration can take on a couple of different forms. I think most people will think of famous architects such as Ross or Kinsey or Colt and having access to the old or original plans that they developed and then applying and studying the concepts that are evident on those plans and in those photographs and then relating those to the current game with the new technological advances, the growth of trees over the years, addition of trees. So that's one of the, the aspects. The other aspect is perhaps an 
an older course, like there's several Arthur Hills courses that have just evolved over time. Greens have shrunk, bunkers have been gotten further away from the green green complexes and the relationships have changed. So that's another aspect of, of restoration as well as going back in and restoring those original concepts from the original architect in most instances. And Sean, does that mesh with what you think a restoration is? Yeah, I, I think Steve's kind of hit it on the point. You know, the interesting thing about restoration when you're talking about old golf courses is that in, in its truest form, it, it's difficult to do a true restoration because it's difficult to go back and put bunkers in their original locations in a lot of places on these old golf courses because simply they just don't relate to what the technology is today. Certainly you can pull tees back, you can push greens further further down the line, but oftentimes those bunkers are built into specific landforms and they were there because they fit those landforms um, and they were 200 yards off the tee, today they no longer relate. So. Uh, in that sense, restoration is somewhat difficult. I think oftentimes if we say that it's a restoration, it's actually probably a little bit of a renovation at the same time, trying to implement original design intent of those architects and apply it to today's technology uh, and, and how far they hit the ball. Any piece of property, whether it's large or small, changes over the course of time. I mean, things change e each decade and with each person maintaining that property. What has it been like, Steve, getting some of these restoration projects and rediscovering some of the original 10 of people like Donald Ross and Harry Colt and some of the other architects that you've done work on in the past? Well, it's fun really to study their strategies, do some research and say, okay, how can we apply this concept perhaps of a meandering mm -hmm. kind of lazy S fairway with offset bunkers? How can we apply that to the land that's still there today? As Sean mentioned, the landforms are still in the same place, but they may not relate to the technological advances today. So that's one aspect of, of making that balance. Uh, there are things that you can do, move the tees back to lengthen the hole, or perhaps you can add the length of the green, green end. Uh, another aspect is the trees, and the original architect may have had wide fairways that gave you multiple angles into a green, whereas perhaps uh, clubs have overplanted the trees in the in the interim, the trees continue to grow and take away shot lines. Uh, so that's another aspect, as we saw at Oakmont, really over the last 20 years or so, removal of trees to, to restore original shot lines and strategies. Sean, in the course of your research on some of the projects you've worked on recently, what are some things maybe you discovered or were rediscovered when you looked at the old aerials or routing plans or even on the ground photos? Well, I think Steve alluded to it um, to a great extent. You know, one of the things that's been lost on a lot of these great old golf courses is a width. Um, fairways, for whatever reason, whether it's tournaments trying to make a golf course tough, trying to make resistance to scoring, the fairways have just shrunk. Um, they've gone from what might have been 40 or 50 yards wide originally down to 25 or 30 yards wide. Um, in, in a lot of instances, those bunkers are now off in the in, off in the perimeter. There's you know five ten yards of rough between those bunkers and the fairways. A lot of instances, you know, the greens have shrunk over a period of time. If you if you really go back and you look at some of these old great golf courses, you often can see the old original fill pads, um, and you can see the old landforms that supported the original design. And one of the funnest things for me is I, I love to go to these old golf courses that are you know built in the first part of the 1900s and 
kind of walk through the golf courses and look and see a landform and go, oh, that, that's an old bunker, or, or look at the back edge of a green and realize that corner of that green used to go out, you know, another 15, 20 feet, and there was a great pin placement back there. And, and so we've tried to do that on a number of the golf courses, especially the older golf courses that we've worked on, where we're trying to recapture the width. We're trying to get back to the original design intent. You know, obviously the bunkers may shift around a little bit. We may push a tee back to try to get um, get those bunkers relevant, but we're trying to get that width. And a big part of that is also you know, tree removal. As Steve alluded to, uh, many clubs uh, over the last you know, 40, 50 years have added uh, a number of trees. And, and I think if you look at most great classic golf courses, the net, the net of it is that most of those are, are removing trees. And, and we're, we're continuing to try to do that on our end as well. Steve, how common is green shrinkage and what type of problems does green shrinkage cause for a golf course? Well, it's very common because every club that I know applies top dressing or sand to their greens to improve the putting characteristics and, and quality of the turf. So you're essentially building a pyramid every time you apply top dressing to that green. So only way it can go is up. And as you go up with a, a cone or a pyramid, the surface area uh, is reduced. We also have uh, a tendency in the mowing of greens. It's not uncommon for workers to lose an inch here on corner or on an edge and over a period of years and uh, that actually reduces the green significantly up to 25% at some courses and it's hard to imagine that just losing an inch around the perimeter can uh, cause that much reduction, but it can. Yeah, and before we got on the air here, Steve and Sean gave me an excellent PowerPoint presentation of some of the, the work they've done. I wish everyone could see it. So we're gonna try to give people some visuals as we go through this podcast. And you were showing me some research, I think it was from somewhere down south, that over the course of 21 years, courses can lose maybe 25% of their green. So this is something that doesn't happen over 50, 60, 70 years. This is something that can happen pretty pretty rapidly, right, Steve? That's correct. It's not unusual for superintendents to, to probe their greens mix, and what was originally 12 inches of, of mix is now 22, 24 inches. So mm -hmm. just imagine adding a, a two-foot step to the green, and it, it's not done straight up. It's it's on the edges where you've got a shoulder, and that's what causes reduction. And another thing that happens is the green shrinks. The bunker stays where it is, so you have generally will have more space between the bunker edge and the green. As we talked with recovery shots, a high handicapper who just is lucky to kind of yep. chunk it out. Hopefully, they would be on the green if they had the original design. Whereas with the shrinking green area, they're still left in the rough, rough fringe. Sean, when you get done with one of these restorations, what are some guidelines for the people that are left with the daily maintenance of the course to, to protect the, the size of the greens and the features around the greens? What are some things you, you recommend? There's a couple things you can do. Obviously, in most instances, the liner around the perimeter of those greens, you can also lay a, a wire in the base of the the, the perimeter of that core for those greens to so you can go back and trace exactly where those perimeters but it it's really kind of a continual maintenance from year to year making sure that you're maintaining those edges because if you if you lose track of them for a couple of years they're going to start creeping in on you and then you you don't realize how far you've lost uh, over that period of time so you know the continual maintenance and knowing exactly where those edges are and and making sure you maintain those from one year to the next is is critical okay we made it through 
the first R. And we could probably spend all day on the first R, but I, 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 we only have so much time. The second R, a remodel. How, how would you define that, Steve? The primary role, or many times we'll see the bunkers being the, the number one item that members think, well, we need to improve our bunkers. And that can be because of contamination or perhaps they're not properly placed as we kind of talked about already. And what we'd like to do at that point is say, you know, you've got this style of bunker here, but we can probably improve the character of your golf course by changing the look of the bunkering. And certainly bunkers are the number one character defining feature on a golf course. And, and we'll typically show them different styles, whether it's from Oakmont or Marion or Positiempo. And not that those styles are all appropriate, but really just to illustrate our point of it's really the, the edging and the shaping of this bunker that can determine the character of your course. And we can change it and improve it really at no additional cost rather than just re, as opposed to just rebuilding the bunker in, in its place. Sean, would you agree that most of the remodels you do are spurred by bunker activity right now? Yeah, definitely. You know, over the, the course of the last 10 years or so, there's been a lot of deferred maintenance. And one of the biggest ticket items for a lot of clubs is, is bunkers. And we're finding that a lot of clubs are going back and trying to address their bunkers, which they haven't been reinvesting in over the last, you know, seven to 10 years. Advances of some of the new bunker liners, more clubs are starting to install those and, and recognizing the benefits of those and, and how they can reduce their labor costs from a maintenance standpoint. So we're seeing a lot of clubs that will do that. We also see a lot of clubs that are looking to improve practice facilities. Um, the demographics of the game have changed uh, a fair bit over the last 20 to 30 years and, and fewer people have uh, an opportunity to go and spend four or five hours on a golf course, but they do have time to go spend a half an hour, 45 minutes practicing at lunch hour or after work. So we're seeing a lot of clubs rebuilding short game facilities and, and driving ranges to help them better compete with surrounding clubs in the area and make them more competitive in that marketplace. Steve, is a remodel something that has to be done instantly and faster? Is it something that can happen gradually and over time at a club? It can certainly be done over time. Typically, what we like to introduce is a master plan for improvements with a club. With that program, we'll look at all aspects of the golf course, from tees to bunkers, fairway alignments, the strategy of the golf course, their water features, their vegetation, of course, the green complexes. And... Many times we can find that they may have bunkering that's irrelevant. They've always said this bunker is back left of the green, but nobody's ever back there. Or it falls in between shots, particularly with technology today. And you, you can plot like, okay, a good player is going to hit the ball 285, 290, 320, 340. So you know where to place that bunker for them. They probably don't have bunkers in that position at this point. Conversely, you've got... Uh, higher handicappers who may only hit the ball 130 yards off the tee and then 100 yards after that's a good shot. So particularly on a par five, as you kind of plot the, the sh shots of those players, you'll find a bunker that may be in between shots for everyone or, or maybe there's a bunker that just penalizes the high handicappers. So it's a comprehensive study that looks at strategy, placement, growth of trees, as we've talked about before. And it's really what we recommend if you're going to look at any portion of your golf course why not go ahead and look have a professional look at all aspects of it sean how does uh technology shape a remodel you have some amazing technology here in your office that 
you can use now and how is the technology in the game with uh, new golf balls and new, new clubs also shape a course remodeling? From a, a golf standpoint, the technology, uh, you know, the golf ball has changed dramatically in the last 20 to 25 years. Um, I, I remember a Shell's Wonderful World of Golf event back in, I think it was 99, between Phil Mickelson and, and Freddie Couples. And at the time, Freddie was hitting the ball basically the same distance as Phil. And um, in this event, Phil was playing a new ball, and he was hitting it 15, 20 yards by Freddie. And he said, you know, Freddie came up to him and said, what are you doing to hit the ball so far? And they had, you know, kind of a quaint little conversation as they were walking down the fairway. And, and Phil turned to him and said, this is the new Pro-V which is pretty telltale sign. So that has applied and kind of changed the way we, we approach. You know, as Steve alluded to, there's a lot of golf courses out there that, you know, the bunker is just simply not in the right spots anymore. And in some instances, we're able to add back tees and make it relevant, but relevant again, but in some other instances, you just simply need to put, reposition those bunkers and put them in better spots. One of the things that we've been able to utilize over the last really 15, 20 years in terms of technology and trying to communicate our vision and our, um, our design intent to memberships is oftentimes when members are looking at a two-dimensional plan and and you know looking at it at it from the 30,000 foot level they don't necessarily understand what it might look like in the end but we've we use technology now Photoshop and a few other programs where we're able to take um, aerial photography with drones of an existing golf course or an existing golf hole take it into Photoshop, manipulate it to, to make it look like what we would uh, would envision it being after the renovation is complete. And we've found that to be a, a tremendous tool in trying to communicating the, the vision that we have to the, the various memberships and helping sell those, those plans to the memberships. Steve, with regards to greens, how would remodeling a green be different than restoring a green? Well, if you restored a green, you may be looking at a green that was designed for green speeds of six or seven or eight. I know they didn't have stint meters back those days, but if you were able to measure them, uh, they would be uh, very slow compared to the speeds of today. So if we were to go back and build a green with an 8% slope or something, you could not play it today because it, the ball would just roll off the front of the green. Actually, we were at a course yesterday where there's a part, portion of the green that had 8% on one side and 6% on another, and we're going to rebuild that green just because players can't, can't play the hole there. So uh, that happens over time, and uh, it's not unusual to have to rebuild greens because of the existing slopes. Okay, on to the third R, renovation. And we'll start with you this time, Sean. How, how would you define it? And Steve, listen carefully to make sure that Sean says the right thing. <laughs> No, I, I guess I would look at a renovation as, as kind of a comprehensive look at, at a golf course in terms of more significant changes to the golf course. You might be keeping components of the existing golf course, but generally on a, on a whole you're looking at changing uh, you know, the tees, the greens, the fairways. Um, we often refer to it maybe as a little bit more of a blow-up, but it's more significant changes and it's not necessarily trying to get back to a certain character um, that the golf course might have been previously where that might be more of a restoration in terms of character. It's more of trying to put a new identity on the golf course. Steve, did you guys teach Sean well with that I, answer? I think, he, I think he nailed it. There, There's several different situations that can arise sometimes. Sometimes a club will lose land and may have to give up three or four holes because the road's going through or they got a developer who wants to put in houses and they can use the money from the sale of that land to 
improve their golf course. Other times they may pick up land, uh, as we saw recently in Taylor, we were able to improve a situation where there were some safety issues. We're able to give them a little bit longer golf course, went from a par 71 to a par 72, just by utilizing, it was only like uh, seven acres, I think, but it made a significant difference uh, in their golf course. We're, we're also, we'll sometimes hear the term blow up, where you basically take the, the land that's there and really don't pay much attention to the existing rooting because there were deficiencies in it, or perhaps there are, uh, goals have changed. For example, the course we talked about in Sweden where they wanted a ladies European tour event. They added some farmland to it and we created a lynx land course out of Swedish farmland. So uh, those are more significant. They're not really uh, new courses on a course list, but they really are significantly different and you may not even recognize them from the original design. What are the emotions like when somebody in your business gets a chance to blow up a, a course? Are you excited about it or is it kind of mixed feelings knowing that, that, that somebody had worked there before and that's going to go away? Well, truthfully, nowadays, you know, there's so few new projects. Most of what we do anymore is a renovation. You're, you, you, uh, you're tweaking this or tweaking that. So to, to have a, a complete blow up, uh, as we've termed it, is, is somewhat of an unusual situation anymore. So. It's actually probably pretty exciting to be able to have carte blanche and be able to you know, let your creative juices and flow and, and not have to worry about you know, whether you're going to match the certain style of, of existing bunkers and what have you. There's a lot of fun things with renovation in terms of uh, renovating a golf course and trying to make uh, certain parts of a golf course better but at the same time match what was there. Blow up is, is often quite rewarding as well too because it's it's essentially a, a new golf course um, which as I mentioned there, there are not a whole lot of nowadays. So. so Steve you get a chance to renovate a golf course on a great piece of land that has some history. How, how do you start that process? What goes through the architect's mind when you when you get on site there and pitch the project and start the project? Well, first of all, we want to be respectful of our clients' goals and vision if they have one. Uh, typically in private clubs, as we mentioned earlier, bunkers are usually the big stumbling block or we wish our bunkers were better. You'll hear that in many surveys. So we'll take their goals. We'll, of course, tour the golf course and do our own analysis. Uh, there was a course in Chicago that we renovated where they had seven parallel holes that ran north and south. And you may have heard that it's good for golf holes to run north and south because you're not playing into the setting sun or rising sun. Well, that's fine if the topography allows that. But at this course in Chicago, you're playing down into a valley and then back up to a green up on top of the slope. So there were blind shots not only down into the valley, but the green was up high and you couldn't see it. So, and the membership had played it for so long that they didn't even notice it. Yeah, we do have a lot of blind shots out here. So we suggested shifting the holes to work with the topography. It wasn't one of their original goals, but that's one of the, the benefits of having an architect come in in a master plan program and look at your entire facility. In our homes, I mean, there are things that we live with and we get used to, and really a, a club is just the home of these group of golfers who've come together. So uh, to have that fresh set of eyes, I think it's very valuable to the club. And sometimes the properties change. Sometimes a club <clears throat> acquires more property or loses property. What is it like doing one of those renovations? 
usually, again, there's a goal whether they're trying to sell off a portion of the land to have uh, development and that'll generate money that would pay for the, for the renovation. Uh, other times, if they lose property, we're trying to solve a problem so that their golf course isn't damaged by that loss of property. Perhaps we can turn a par four into a par three and make it up elsewhere, make a par four into a par five. So we are definitely problem solvers uh, in many instances as well, and, and that's quite rewarding as well. Sean, how much time does a renovation take? What do you put into one before you even start moving dirt and the construction crew comes in? The renovation process, is, as Steve alluded to, really starts with us establishing what the club's goals and objectives are. And we have those initial meetings. We spend a couple days on site walking through the golf course, getting a, a good understanding of what's there, what are, what, are, what are the positives of the golf course, what can we work off of, where there's some deficiencies that we can improve upon. And then we'll take that back to our office and, and start compiling our ideas and start putting them down on a piece of paper at some point, we'll probably come back and even look at the golf course and say, okay, does this idea work? Um, spend some more time on site. But, you know, that process probably takes anywhere from four to six weeks. There's another process in there where you eventually will present that to the Green Committee, kind of get their feedback on it. We may make some revisions based on that feedback uh, to tweak it and eventually get to a, a final uh, master plan that they can move forward with uh, as a consensus. That process over generally will last somewhere around a couple months, maybe three months, depending on uh, how quickly those those membership meetings progress. Steve, how fast do these full renovations move these days? How quickly can the construction companies and everybody come together to get a project done? There have been some ones I, I've heard of recently happening in three, four, five months. How fast can some of these projects move now compared to when you started in the business? Well, they certainly can move quickly. Uh, Really, the membership is the determining, determining factor. How quickly can they decide on an architect, on what they want to do? How do they react to the architect's suggestions? How quickly can they get groups together, to user groups that we can talk to? How quickly can they get that feedback? So, I mean, the, the project never goes quick enough for the architect. I mean, we want to go, 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 do the construction drawings, get the builder out there and and get it done. So, um, but I think generally a, a year is a good time frame, maybe six months to get, and again, it depends on when you start, but six months probably to go through the planning and development process. It may take the architect a couple more months to do construction documents, another month to bid it. And then we can should be able to have a contractor out there pretty quickly. Of course, most clubs want to get the work done between September 8th and October 8th. So, you know, when <laughs> when they're tired of golf for the season. Uh, in, in the South, it's different. In Florida, they want it done in the summer. So, and most renovation projects really can be done in a three-month uh, time frame overall. Sean, what's the fulfillment level like for each one? Restoration part at least for me anyways, it, it, it's a little bit going back to the, the love that we have for the game and the, love, the reason that we got into this industry because we love the architecture of it. Being able to go back and, and kind of dig into the, the research and look into what various architects, whether that be Ross or uh, McKinsey, trying to understand what they were doing and why they, why they did something on a particular site and walking the site and seeing those landforms, that's the rewarding part. It's, it's kind of a 
you know, a bit of a puzzle in trying to discover what was there and trying to figure out how we can apply today's technology and, and still be in keeping with the design intent that they had. From a renovation standpoint, it's, it's a lot of fun and rewarding. And, and I think for me, at the end of the day, what's most rewarding is to see the membership's face. Um, when it's all said and done. Um, you know, we have all these grandiose ideas and we love implementing, we love being in the field and, and creating that, but at the end of the day, when you have a member come up to you and say, this is fantastic, um, that's, that's really rewarding. And that's, that's frankly why I think a lot of us do this. I mean, we love the game of golf and we love to see people enjoy the game of golf. And when we can create a, a scenario where we've improved their golf course and made it better for them and they can enjoy it more, that's the winning situation at the end. So, yeah. And how about you? For you, Steve, what, what's the fulfillment level like in each each R we just discussed? Well, renovation versus new course design is totally different in terms of dealing with the client. With a new course, he hires he or she hires an architect. You've generally got one person to answer to, and they say, well, I hired you because of all these other things you did, you know, all these other courses you designed. So they're not really analyzing your design the way that you have where you've got 300 members who are essentially their clients. They're intimately familiar with their golf course. They know how they play it, how they go around. And anything that you do that's going to affect their game is a bit of an attack. And it can actually be confrontational sometimes, like, you know, what are you guys doing coming in here, uh, changing my golf course that I like very much? And the reward comes, as Sean alluded to, that allow us to do our work, change the golf course, and in the end you're going to be very pleased. And it, it really is rewarding to have the, the guys who may have fought you the most say, hey, you were right in the end, and uh, what you've done is beautiful, and it's fun and strategic, and really improves the game and the golf course for all of the membership, not just for a small group, small select group. Last thing, when you're having your internal conversations here at, at the office or with other architects, have you thought about what the fourth and fifth and six hours of golf course architecture would be? <laughs> well, I think I mentioned refurbished, and that's the F word in uh, renovation. Uh, you might hear the term refurbished where they're just replacing the sand in the bunkers, and there may be structural problems where water's just pouring into that bunker, and you're just pouring away or, or wasting your money. What's another art, Sean, that you want to add? Retirement. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably a million of them you can come up with, but those ones are certainly the big ones. I would add one last one before we go. I would say remarkable. The work that you guys do and all the other golf course architects do and the golf course construction companies and the golf course superintendents, it's, it's pretty remarkable what everyone can do when they come together for a common purpose of making a golf course better. And, and thanks for having us. And this was awesome to come to Toledo and, and see the office and good luck with your projects to both of you and we look forward to seeing some of your work later today. Right. Thank you very much Guy. Uh, architect I know says that great maintenance beats great design every time so we certainly appreciate all the superintendents out there who make us look good uh, and maintain the design integrity over the years so thank you very much. Thank you guys.